For Michael J. Fox, life hasn't been easy. I'm going through changes. His voice is changing. Give me a keg of beer. He's got hair on his chest. He stopped being a boy. He's always wanted to be something special, but he never expected this. Teen Wolf. He's got style. There's something different about you. He's a wolf in teen's clothing. And tonight is his night to howl. Teen Wolf, a new comedy with Michael J. Fox, star of Back to the Future. And of course, that was Michael J. Fox from the film Teen Wolf, which will be our featured topic. We're happy to have you with us. My name is Andrew. And I am Josh. How are you? I'm excited about this episode, by the way. I love this movie. I've seen it a million times. I know you have, too. Yeah, and I, I, I wanted to say about it, you know, it's not actually a Halloween movie per se. You know, it's not, like, scary, of course. But, you know, the fact that he turns into a wolf... I think that that qualifies it as a Halloween movie. Hold that thought because we're going to talk about whether this is a wolf movie or if it's a sports movie. So talk about your Teen Wolf 2 experience real quick. I went online because, you know, we were were preparing for this episode. And of course, um, I thought, you know, I'm going to I'm going to try to find the soundtrack because the soundtrack albeit a goofy one is a pretty good one (laughs) for this type of movie. Right. So is it? Yeah, for this kind of movie. Yes, it is. Oh, it's terrible, yes. but it's good terrible. <laughs> and uh, so I went online. I looked for the <laughs> vinyl <laughs> the vinyl copy of Teen Wolf, and I could not find it. There's a, probably a couple of um, shady websites that, quote, sell it. So I was a little uh-huh. worried about doing that. So I went on eBay, and I didn't find Teen Wolf 1, but I found, guess what? Teen Wolf 2 on vinyl. And I uh, put in a bid for it. You know, now eBay allows you to actually ask the seller, hey, would you accept this amount? So <laughs> it was up there for 20 bucks, and I, I uh, messaged the seller, and I said, "What? would you take 15 for this? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> so um, he probably... W- you know you still overpaid 15 bucks for it, right? I did, yeah. I'm pretty sure he was about to give it away to one of his friends. Um <laughs> So, but nonetheless, I am awaiting my brand new, well, used copy of Teen Wolf 2 on vinyl, the soundtrack. You know, Teen Wolf 2 doesn't exist, just like uh, Caddyshack 2, Rocky 5, and the last two seasons <laughs> of 90210 after Jason Priestley left. Those things don't exist. <laughs> I w- I'm actually surprised that it was even made. I'm, I'm surprised that they even released it on vinyl. I can't imagine... I can't imagine there being very many copies outside of bargain bins out there. Yeah, the one I found, which if it is a legit website and it could be a legit order, was like it, they were charging 50 bucks for it. So it's yeah. probably pretty rare. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. It's a novelty. That's what You always pay a lot for a novelty, whether or not it's really worth that or not. All right, well, let's get into Teen Wolf. I ran through some Teen Wolf stats. Teen Wolf was released August 23rd, 1985, and incidentally, it was released about six weeks after Back to the Future, which was released on July 3rd, 1985. Um, Back to the Future, of course, was Michael J. Fox's breakout movie. Teen Wolf was filmed prior to Back to the Future, but released after, and very timely because Michael J. Fox was a pretty hot commodity 
in the summer of 1985, not just Back to the Future, but also he was, of course, the star on Family Ties. So uh, this movie certainly was able to benefit from Michael J. Fox's rising star at this point. And we're going to talk a little bit about the just the Michael J. Fox role in this film and, and how that kind of impacts the movie. Uh, Teen Wolf averaged a 6 out of 10 on IMDb.com, according to viewers. That's higher than I would have imagined. I guess so. I don't know how they calculate the the statistics on IMDb, but I figured the people that have watched it are big fans of it, so I actually thought it would be higher. It's The ratings are always misleading, you know, because you can like it for a lot of different reasons. You can like it, give it more stars, because you like bad movies, right? So it's... It's kind of misleading. On Rotten Tomatoes, it received a 47% fresh rating. So, Ouch. Its first weekend, it grossed $16 million. No, it's not bad. That ain't bad. bad. And it was the number two movie, actually. It was the number two movie. And it was the number two movie for the next four or five weeks uh, through mid-September. And then it fell off in uh, late September and was out of theaters by mid-October. Its, its final haul was about... 80 million adjusted for inflation. To compare to Back to the Future, Back to the Future, uh, if you if you adjust for inflation, grossed 547 million, so about half a billion compared to 80 million. So for a low low budget film like this that really had no expectations and really is has has its fair share of flaws. You're right. I think that's not a bad haul. I guess that is attributed to Michael J. Fox's star power in the 80s and probably just the types of movies people were going to see. I'd say it's 90 percent. Michael J. Fox star power, and I would think the other 10% were caught up in the whole wolf craze of the early 80s. I don't know if you remember, but there was, of course, American Werewolf in London, there was Wolfen, there was Teen Wolf, there was The Howling, there was Silver Bullet, Stephen King movie. I think there was just a real resurgence of werewolf movies around that time, and I think it all started with American Werewolf in London. I think that was really the first one that really kicked off the subgenre if you want to call it that we would be remiss if we didn't mention thriller oh my the, gosh. the entire video of thriller where michael jackson turns into a wolf too right and which was directed by john landis who also directed american werewolf in london and so this movie was again capitalizing on that and then also capitalizing on like you said michael j fox's star power the plot of the film is very simple plot <laughs> Let's just say this: it's a breezy comedy, right? It's um, it's it's um, it's a uh, you know Michael J. Fox plays a high school student, Scott Howard, who's a member of a losing basketball team. He can't get his dream girl to notice him, and he's part werewolf. Once Scott discovers his special powers, um, of course, like everything else, everything else and everything around his life starts to improve, and then you get to you sit through several what I call pretty woman montages where everything is going great. He becomes popular. He becomes a great basketball player. The, the, his dream girl, Pamela Wells, who, so Pamela Wells played by Lori Griffin. And I'm, I've always been a little bit surprised that Lori Griffin didn't have the type of career that a Molly Ringwald had, or that an Elizabeth Shue had, or someone like that. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah, I think she had a good shot, and and actually, with what she probably had to deal with, she actually was a pretty good character, sort of a villain. I, I, almost, I don't think right? she. I don't think she's a bad actress. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the only problem was she was probably like 48 in the movie. 
so anyway, so Scott goes from being a nice guy, he becomes a bit of a self-obsessed jerk. And then, of course, you know, like um, every 80s movie, he realizes that it's, it's, it's more important to be yourself. And while doing that, they also end up winning the championship game. So you mentioned Thriller, and we talked about American Werewolf in London. And this movie has another really cool, I think, a really cool wolf-changing scene. If you had to compare the wolf-changing scenes from Thriller, American Werewolf in London, and Teen Wolf, which, which of those, in your opinion, stands out? Well, you know, first of all, in the 80s, this is when things happened live, right? Which is why it was so cool. I mean, we're so used to now just putting an algorithm CGI. into a computer, and oh man, he's changing into a werewolf, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, this is mm-hmm. when people actually made stuff to slam on your face and your hands and bubble up and hair grows out, you know, live. It's cool. So all three are awesome. Now, I wouldn't put Teen Wolf at the front of that. I would actually put it at the last if we're talking about Thriller and American Werewolf in London is awesome. I mean, that scene is really I agree. cool. So. Yeah. I would have to say American Werewolf in London, um, Thriller is right behind that, and then Teen Wolf is third. But not trying to diminish the Teen Wolf transition, I mean, they do a great job where he's looking in the mirror and, you know, his face is looking all weird and funky and, you know, and his, his nails start growing, all that stuff. They don't overuse the special effects. I mean, it's like you're saying, I mean, you have to do a combination of stop motion, you have a lot of makeup. Because you're, you're, you're going right. to slow down some scenes or speed up some scenes, that kind of thing. But for the most part, of course, the editing process plays a big role in how that looks as well. But but um, I think um, American Werewolf in London really set the standard for that. Because every wolf-changing scene beyond that almost, almost copies it. I mean, Thriller is a copy, but but you can almost say that's a parody because... Or an homage, really, because one, it's the same director, but two, it wasn't just a music video, and it's almost a scene-for-scene scene copy. So it's like, I think they meant that more as an homage or as a, you know, a spoof of of American Werewolf in London, um, and maybe Teen Wolf did too. I don't know. I don't know what the but like. Um, the 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 special effect you know obviously the budget wasn't as big for Teen Wolf so you're going to have some you know it's going to be a little bit um, the production value is going to be a lot less but I think they do a pretty good job of you know of making it look it it fits the 80s you know yeah um, and the writer I was going right. to say the one of the writers at least his name is Jeff Loeb. Um, the other one is Matthew Wiseman, but Jeff Loeb, um, this was his first screenplay. Um, and it's not bad for a first screenplay. I mean, it's one of those things where it could have been a lot worse on a, I mean, that's, it's an incredible opportunity, I guess. And then he also wrote Teen Wolf 2, and then he went on to have a pretty prolific career. He wrote, co-wrote Commando. Um, a couple other films, and then he got into comic book writing. Um, he, he met someone in that world, and then they asked him to write comic books for DC, and then, you know, kept doing that. So he's had a pretty cool career from there. Is this a, is this a werewolf movie, or is this a sports movie? I never regarded it as a sports movie. I always thought of it more as a werewolf movie. And the reason is, most of it is him dealing with being a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I just said that out loud. Um, 
he um, basically is just dealing with <laughs> he's dealing with the uh, the trauma of finding out that he's a werewolf, and then he can do all these amazing things, and his life changes, and then he realizes it's not for him or whatever. There are a lot of sports movies that don't have nearly as much sports as there is in this one. From the championship game at the very end, which is about a seven or eight minute scene. It opens with a game at the very beginning. The second big game, of course, is the game where he first changes into a wolf. I think basketball is a real central theme because when he decides not to be the wolf, it's for the championship game. I guess, really, it, it's probably a wolf movie. I think you're right, but I think sports play, do play a pretty central role. All right, so let's, let's do this, Josh. I created some awards for this movie, and so we're basically going to... Hopefully you didn't spend any money on any trophies. <laughs> <laughs> we're going we're gonna to co-host an awards show, all right? Awesome. And um, I've got one, two, I've got several different awards, and we're going to go through these one by one, and we're going to pick the... The best of each category. Okay. Category one. Best supporting character. Here are your nominees. I have Lewis. I have Styles. Bobby Finstock. Coach Bobby Finstock. Boof. And Harold. This is best supporting character. So again, Lewis, Styles, Finstock, Boof, and Harold. Who wins? Gosh. Well, you know, I think uh, it's a close race between Styles and Finstock. I don't know. What do you think? I think it's Finstock. Everything that comes out of Finstock's mouth, every, every scene that he's in, he's only in five or six scenes, but every scene that he's in, he steals it, I think. Hey, Scotty, come on in. You know, you know how you always said that if any of us guys have any problems, I mean, even personal ones, that we should come and see you? Hey, that's what I'm here for. Great, because uh, I got a problem. What kind of problem? As you can see, I'm a very busy man here. It doesn't matter how you play the game, it's whether you win or lose. And even that doesn't make all that much difference. I get it, coach, what's that problem? Let me give you a little advice. There's three rules that I live by. Never get less than 12 hours sleep, never play cards with a guy who's got the same first name as a city, and never go near a lady who's got a tattoo of a dagger on her body. Now you stick with that, everything else is cream cheese. Thanks, coach. We can have the conversation about whether or not Styles is on the list of best sidekicks of all time because running a merch store in your school. Probably without a license. Probably without any kind of license. Trading in your car for a Wolfmobile. Surfing on top of... I mean, the stuff that Styles does as a 30-year-old high school student is incredible. <laughs> I think you're right. I He's definitely on the list of best sidekicks, but I think best supporting character, I have to give it to Bobby Finstock. He's got a whole other character life. You know, that could be a, a whole movie. Wouldn't that be an interesting movie? Like, it would be about a, a minor character in a minor movie. <laughs> that would have been great. I, I, he could have, I think he could have had his own sitcom. Yeah, easy. Uh, yeah, a lot, that, that happened to a lot of people. This is one of those movies that really would have translated well to a sitcom. And I'm surprised they never really did it. All right, so next category. Best song... In the film. And I'm throwing out Surfing USA because, well, frankly, because if it's in there, then it pretty much wins, and that's no fun. So we're, we're throwing out Surfing USA. Here are your nominees. Way to Go by Mark Vieira. Big Bad Wolf, which is the song that is played during the end of movie dance. 
party. Win in the end, which of course is the song that's played during the championship game montage. Shooting for the moon, which is that really cheesy ballad that ends the movie. And then good news. And good news is played during one of the party scenes. I think I can't remember which one, but it's played during a party scene. So those are your five nominees. Um, not your favorite. What's the best song? Big Bad Wolf. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because you know, think about it. Think about it. You know, the song starts, and he literally comes up with the dumbest dance. You could ever imagine. Uh, it would, uh, you know, you can't beat the silliness of that scene. And the song goes hand in hand. It doesn't even have. Does it even have any words? <laughs> Big bad. That's bad all it is. Yeah, that's all it is. Dude, Big dude, bad wolf. I could have written that. You could have. Yeah, I, I think uh, perhaps my dog. It's funny too because it it ends in a really scary moment. Remember when Mick shows up and he like he he like growls and then he like does this thing where he like slices his shirt open yeah like what if he had slashed him maybe six inches higher he goes right into his jugular I mean, that's pretty vicious assault i'm going with win in the end it's because you like inspiring things i think the song distracts you from how bad they're playing basketball all right so uh we're split on best song uh we'll, we'll give that a, that's a two-way tie best villain here are your nominees. We have Rusty Thorne, Principal Rusty Thorne, who has a checkered past with uh, Harold. Uh, Mick McAllister, who, of course, is the basketball player and boyfriend of Scott's big crush, Pamela. Um, the liquor store clerk, who really, we're talking about Finstock doing as much as he did with his short four or five scenes but maybe the liquor store clerk clerk is the one who does the most with the least and i'm i'm throwing in pamela wells as your fourth villain nominee and the reason why is because she clearly has very few scruples very few morals she kind of uses scott and and then tries to get him back at the very end after only after he nails the winning free throw to win the championship game. So she's on my list of potential villain nominees. But who wins, Josh? Who wins out of those four? I'm going to go with liquor store clerk. Ooh. And you know why? You know why? Because Dark one, horse. one, he doesn't get even get a name. <laughs> he needs some kind of recognition. This is ridiculous. Everybody else has a name. So liquor store clerk, best villain you know what? I'm thinking about it. He couldn't could have even been best supporting character. Ooh, interesting. Right? You made a very compelling case, but you're wrong. The winner right. is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the winner. The winner is Principal Rusty Thorne. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's Mick. Let me ask this in a different way. Who is Scott's biggest arch nemesis in the movie? Is it the principal or is it Mick? It's uh, gosh, they're kind of equal, don't you think? Yeah. They have about equal screen time. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Hope your acting's better than your hookshot, boy. God. <laughs> you know what? Um, Mr. Lolly, Kurt Lolly. We've totally forgot about him, the acting oh, he, teacher. Should he have gone in the, the Best Supporting Character nominee? Uh, he could have been, and I have a, a really great story. So I went out to California, of course, for school. And at random, my one of my math teachers... 
And he goes, hey, do you want to go? I, I also do some acting. <laughs> it's, Cal- Cal- it's California, right? So he goes, do you want to go see a play? And I go, yeah, sure. So we go into L.A. And guess who is acting and directing this play? And it's in a small, small theater. Guess who it is? Well, after you've told that whole story, I'm going to guess Kurt Lolly. Isn't that weird? Well, so do you think that Kurt Lolly was at one time... An actual, what sounds like he was an actual theater director, but do you think that's how he got the role? Uh, Like many, many actors probably do film, television, whatever for money. I think he's one of them. He was on an episode of the Twilight Zone from the 80s. I believe he's on uh, an episode called Nightcrawler or something like that. It's a really good episode. And which is, I, I almost want to say, is directed by Francis Ford Coppola. But yeah, we almost forgot about old Kurt Lolly. Sergeant! Burn the fields, and when you're done with that, burn the house. Uh, yeah, uh, wolf, wolf, wolf person, whatever your name is. That was really... Thanks, babe, I love you. We haven't really talked about Michael J. Fox that much yet. We, we alluded to it at the beginning about how, about how he, you know, what a big part he played in the success of this film. Let's hypothetically say that Michael J. Fox was unavailable to be in this film and they had to go to their second choice. Who would have been who would have been a really good second choice that would have been able to carry this movie as well or even maybe better than Michael J. Fox? Well, there's a lot of 80s, you know, favorites. You've got uh what do you got around? Now you got Tom Cruise, right? Cruise was big. This Cruise was this was before, he was getting big. He was getting big. It was before Top Gun. So he had done all the right moves in risky business. So he was still at that level that could have been able to, that feasibly would have signed on to do this movie. Yep. You've got uh, Ralph Macchio. Right. Coming off Karate Kid. He was right, big. So he was he, big. Yeah. Um, um, John Cusack. John Cusack. That's right. Kurt Cameron was. Kurt Cameron. Kirk Cameron was uh, in the middle of growing pains at this point and kind of had a very parallel trajectory that Michael J. Fox had at first. Now, Kirk Cameron never became a big star, but he kind of was like the... He didn't become a big star, but he did become a big tool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like, could Kirk Cameron have played this role? I think he's our best choice... If we were going to choose someone who could really do it and probably do the and the type of movie it is, like Kirk Cameron almost deserves to be in that movie. I think that uh, I mean it's easy to say this because we've had thirty years or so to get to know this movie, and so it's hard sometimes to imagine somebody else in that role. But I think a John Cusack or a Kirk Cameron could have played that role about the about the same. You know, you know why I would say Cruz would be out is because this character needs a lot of self-doubt. It's not Cruz, man. He every he doesn't really even set himself up to be that kind of character. That's that a good a point. Of, I mean, he kind of he can he can, but he almost always is like the brash young hotshot. You know, that's his thing. My, Michael J. Fox brought a real vulnerability and a real sort of um, insecurity to the role, yep. but also being very charismatic at the same time. Which I agree with you, Tom Cruise. That's not. That's not the role that he plays. I mean, um, he's had moments of self-doubt in certain movies, of course. You know, there's always that scene where he's conflicted, like in Top Gun, where he's, you know, 
um, all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, in Jerry Maguire, he's having some doubt here and there. But you're right. On the whole, he's not... I mean, he's not a... He does not play the insecure and, role. And he plays, he plays, there was no running scene. Shot. Yes, there is. Remember when when Scott gets chased by the dog? Oh, yeah. He gets chased by the dog. And he runs through the halls. Remember when he's like about to change? far from your side of the building, aren't you, Howard? No. I mean, yeah, yes, sir. The halls were wet. I want to talk about Harold Howard real quick before we get to the championship game. What are your thoughts on Harold Howard? You know, I would rather do it in the form of a scene, if you would indulge me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do the scene when Scott and Harold are talking in the kitchen. Oh, okay, perfect. Okay. Um, you, you want me to start? Yeah, yeah, you go. You, you start with a, like the, the, an intro okay. line. Um, look, Scott, being what we are, it's not without its problems, but it's not all bad either. Uh, tell me about it. Well, for one thing, you'll be able to do things other guys aren't. Like uh, chase cars and bite the mailman? When you want it, you're going to have great power. I can look forward to a life of stealing babies in the middle of the night and, and, and killing chickens, fearing moons, dodging silver bullets. Well, thank you, Dad, but no thanks. Don't believe the stuff in the movies. With certain obvious exceptions, werewolves are people just like anyone else. What I'm trying to say is, the werewolf is a part of you, but that doesn't change what you have inside. I got a bad outside hook shot. I'm allergic to eggs. I got a $6 haircut. I have problems. I don't need this one. I, I gotta get to school. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for indulging me on that. Oh, absolutely. That was fun. Um, all right. So now we're getting into the championship game. I've got a couple award categories here for this. Uh, most unsung player during the championship game. And what I mean is best player or best role player in the in the championship game not named Scott Howard. Here are your nominees. I have Brad. Uh, Brad, of course, is the redhead who went on to uh, great things like Desperate Housewives, and uh, I think he was on Melrose Place for a few episodes. This was as good as it got for Brad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, winning the so, game in Teen Wolf was as good as it gets. <laughs> Yeah, so I have Brad. And let me just give you Brad's stats in the movie. He was number 45 in the film. He, uh, he had eight points, three block shots, two rebounds, one assist. And I have Chubb. I have him as uh, a nominee as well. And you're probably saying, well, what did he do in the game? Well, if you recall, he was the one that hit the first shot that really sort of got the team going. I mean, they're down by 30 points or something. And Scott's just checked into the game. He's showed up late, which baffles me that he would actually get there late I know he was like questioning going or not but still so he gets there late like halfway through the first quarter I think and they're already down like 32 to 10 or something I mean, they're just getting blown out and Chubb's the one that hits the first shot yeah Mick Mick he like yells he's like shoot it fat boy and then he gets <laughs> mad and shoots it and he does it and then that's what gets everybody all pumped no arc on that ball whatsoever he just throws a a rocket at the goal. Yeah, I, mean, I know. 
Um, and then after that, don't forget that he also knocks down a hook shot when during the montage. They're running a, uh, I think the Dragons are running a 2-3 zone. Chubbs is on the outside, and I think he drains a hook shot. I and mean, it was one of the worst form shots I've ever seen. He just kind of like chunks it over his head, and it goes right in. Yeah, and where's where's the defense of the other team? I mean, there's no one around him. Well, they're running a zone. They're running. They're running a zone. So like, they're, they're what they're trying to do is they're trying to force. They're trying to force Chubbs to take an outside shot. I think that was the. I think that. Oh, was I thought Dragon he was just strategy. standing there and and still on one spot and just like did it. Isn't that what the scene was? And you know he it, he is a hero because uh, Mick tries to dribble the ball up to him and go through like plow through him. And remember, oh. remember Chubbs just like stands there and sets an illegal block. It's I an, mean, he it's, puts his forearms out like like he's a lineman. Yeah, like it's a he's a exactly. I was that's what I was gonna say. So basically, he's kind of a hero, even though really he would have been disqualified. I have Mick as an unsung player during the championship game, and hear me out. Mick, he plays the worst second half of his life. I think he'd put a lot of money on the Beavers and was trying to sandbag the game. So that's my theory. Scott had 14 points, six assists, uh, three steals. He went five of six from the field and three of three at the free throw line. So he's obviously the MVP. I don't think anyone would question that. But who's 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 runner up to the MVP? We have Brad. We have Chubb. We have Mick. I have uh, I, I have to go with Brad. I think uh, I think Chubb is just um, just he's just messing around. He's just a, he's just he's not taking it seriously. I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. <laughs> I think it's Brad. All right. Well, so that that concludes our award show. Thank you to everybody for listening. Hope you enjoyed our breakdown of Teen Wolf, and we hope to see you next time. <laughs>